0: This is episode 76 with author and hiker, Cheryl Strayed. Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, an adventure podcast presented by REI Co-op, the brand who helps get you outside through gear, classes, and adventures. We talk to experts who have taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have climbed the tallest peaks, started thriving businesses, and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy the show. Cheryl Strait is the author of the number one New York Times bestselling memoir, Wild, about her trek across the Pacific Crest Trail. It became a hit movie starring Reese Witherspoon. Cheryl's also the author of the New York Times bestsellers, Tiny Beautiful Things and Brave Enough, as well as the novel Torch. Cheryl hosts the Dear Sugar column and Dear Sugar podcast on the New York Times. And she's a true force of nature. I've wanted to interview Cheryl forever. Ever So we talk about everything from hiking to riding, how to stay healthy, life advice, and so much more. This is a longer episode than many, but we're taking next week off because after 76 episodes, you got to take some breaks to live more wildly. Please note, we also shortened one popular slang word on this show. I hope you enjoy it. Let's just start with hiking. So how does hiking and outdoor adventure fit into your life right now? Now you have kids and family and you're busy. So what does that look like for you right now?
1: It looks like that I do it every chance I can. And it is really the thing I love to do most when I when I have time to do things. And, and I also go out of my way to make time to do that. My kids know I have a son and a daughter. My daughter's 12 and my son Is 14, and they know on Mother's Day and my birthday, we're going to be spending that day hiking. A couple of years ago, my daughter gave me a Mother's Day card that she made for me, and it's just said, Mom, I love you so much. I'm willing to go hiking with you, which which really cracks me up. But, you know, I also really want to share that sense of adventure with them. And especially my, my favorite form of, of adventure is hiking and backpacking. And what's cool is, you know, when they were younger, I kind of sometimes had to bribe them a bit. You know, OK, we're going to walk for 15 minutes and then you get three gummy bears and then we're going to walk another 15 minutes. So you get three more and that worked. And now what's happening is my kids are starting to actually love hiking on their own. And, you know, that's just to me, one of the greatest, most fulfilling things as a mom to see them really um, engaging with the sport. My husband and I took our kids out of school last fall and we traveled around the world. And our first wow. stop was I know it was so fun. we went to New Zealand, Nepal. Tanzania, Kenya, and Portugal, with a stop in Qatar and Singapore along the way. And the first thing we did is we we went uh, and hiked two trails in New Zealand in uh, the Milford Track and the Rootburn Track, uh, oh, went yeah. back and it was so great. And, you know, here I went, I was concerned about my kids because I was like, are they going to be cool with, you know, carrying packs and, you know, hiking all day, every day for several days? And what was funny is, you know, they absolutely left me in their dust.
0: (laughs) So do you have a favorite hike that you'd love to go? I mean, you live pretty close to part of the PCT. Now, if you're, if you're in Oregon, I remember there's a place pretty close by.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I live in Portland, Oregon. So I'm really just, you know, a bit more than an hour's drive uh, from the Pacific crest trail. And I, I hike on it regularly. I also, I mean, there's so many trails in the Pacific Northwest and, and even in my own city, we have Forest Park, which is this beautiful park that really, you know, there are parts of it that are, that are like, wow, I feel like I'm in the wilderness, even though the city is just, you know, a mile away. Uh, the Wildwood Trail and any, you know, a whole web of trails in that park uh, that I use regularly. Uh, also, we have our beautiful Columbia River Gorge. There was a a major, terrible mm, the fire. fire last summer. So a lot of those trails are damaged, but but not all of them. I was with my family recently on one of those trails, and I was glad to see, you know, okay, the gorge, you know, not everything was destroyed by that fire, thanks to all the people who fought it and and put it and contained it. Um, but you know, it's those, those are really, I guess, my go to places. But you know, I also really love this idea of thinking about, you know, discovering trails in different parts of the world. And I've traveled to to many countries. And everywhere I go, I try to find a trail to hike.
0: That's so cool that you still love hiking. You know, what do you what do you think of like all the people hiking the PCT now? Because it's taken off. I mean, I'm interviewing even Aspen Mattis, who wrote a book that was inspired by your book. And so many people have this journey of doing these through hikes now.
1: I think it's beautiful. And 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 you know, I'm so honored that that some of the at least some of those people, some portion of those people were inspired to go hike the trail by me in my book. And, you know, I think that, that the most important thing when it comes to, to hiking that wild did is it gave a lot of people, uh, permission and confidence. You know, I didn't go out there knowing everything about backpacking when I began backpacking (laughs) and, you know, I, I sort of made comic hay of that in the book, you know, but I, but I think, you know, it's not so uncommon. I mean, most people, uh, when they engage in any sport, right? You, you learn the hard way you try, you learn by doing and you realize, Oh, geez, it actually matters how heavy my pack is. Like that actually has an impact on my hike or, or it's harder. I mean, to this day, what I'm always intrigued by is that hiking is always harder than I think it's going to be. And one thing I wrote about this actually in wild, uh, that even by the end of my hike, I was saying, wow, you know, this trail still humbles me. It's still, even on an easy day, by the end of the day, I'm often like, okay, that was, you know, that was, there were parts of it that were quite challenging. And I find that to be true always with hiking, that I'll think, okay, I can hike 10 miles, no problem. And then, you know, at mile nine, you're like, okay, one more to go, or here we go up this mountain or down this mountain. And I love, I mean, that's what I love about hiking, that that you're always humbled and engaged in a new challenge. And when there are those rare times that it is easy, it just feels like a gift.
0: You did it when it was a lot harder. I mean, now there's some really nice ultra lightweight gear. If you could do it again, you know, is there anything you'd take now that you didn't then?
1: No, you know, it's an interesting question. Was, I, 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 you're right that it's a different world. I hiked the trail in 1995, and. I think sometimes people forget that, that I was literally writing about a different world. It was the world before ultra light backpacking was really, uh, you know, known by many people. It was beginning. It was certainly in the air, but, you know, it wasn't really the emphasis. And also there wasn't the Internet. It existed, but most people weren't using it. It wasn't like you could log on. And find all of the information you can now find and all the community about the trail and long distance hiking in general, the PCT in particular. And so, you know, I I did I did do things the kind of old school way on the trail in '95. And it's changed a lot. And when I look back and people ask me, like, well, would you take something different or would you not take something? I have to say I'm I'm glad that I did the hike the way I did it, because even the stuff that now I recognize were kind of mistakes, like, okay, I, you know, should have had bigger boots that fit better. I should have, you know, taken less stuff. I I really like that. I learned the lessons I did the way I did it, even though I do it differently now. Yeah. So what do you,
0: what do you love now? I mean, you take gummy bears to bribe your kids as they were younger. (laughs) What else are like good tricks?
1: You know, so I'm just a lot more mindful of the consequences of weight. And also I think that, you know, part of that is, made easier by, you know, a couple of things, the times there are more light, lightweight things to take backpacking. There's a lot more consciousness and mindfulness, um, in that direction in general. And the, and, you know, among the, the backpacker community and also the gear we take, I, I also think that it helps that most often now I hike with other people, you know, so we can spread out some of that weight. You know, one of the things that happened to me in 1995, when I was going solo, is like, you know, you have to carry literally everything. There's no, there's no sort of sharing of some of that gear. And, you know, almost always, this is true for me, whether I'm traveling, you know, on an airplane, you know, on a business trip or, or on a backpacking, you know, hiking on a backpacking trail is I've, I've always tried to remind myself that I hardly ever need all the clothes I think I'm going to need. So I always try to you know, get that that those those clothes arranged on the bed and then like cut it in half and and don't take everything I think I need because you do end up almost always being able to wear those things over and over again. They might not smell great, but you can wear them over and over again.
0: That's good advice about life just going lighter. I love that. yeah, so we get a lot of questions about people just wanting to do something wild, whether you know whether it's a journey on land as a through hike, or it's a giant surf trip or a paddle across somewhere, you know, how do you advise one on how to choose which adventure they should take, especially if they're at some sort of crossroads or transition in their life?
1: Well, I think first of all, the most important advice I have for anyone if who's interested in doing something big uh, is to do it, is that if you have that impulse do it, see it through and, and do it in the near future, do it as soon as possible, because life does have a way of giving us a lot of reasons not to go on that, that big adventure, that big trip. And so make it happen. And then, you know, I, I'm such a fan of list making when I'm at any kind of crossroads or I, I'm torn between this or that is, you know, I make a list of of like, what are the positives of this scenario and what are the negatives of this scenario? And, and then compare those things. And you know, for example, I love land. I'm not a, I'm not a really a water person. I love to swim, you know, but I'm not ever going to probably be somebody who's like, you know, it sounds really great to me to sail around the world. You know, it actually doesn't sound great to me, but walk around the world sounds fantastic. Mm. And so I think you have to really think about like, what, you know, what are you drawn to? Uh, what do you like to do? What are your sort of preferred, you know, not just activities, but landscapes and environments? Are you somebody who's really excited by the idea of going into really cold places or really hot places? Or, you know, what sounds, you know, are you a mountain person or a desert person? And, you know, what's cool about um, trails like the PCT, you, you can be in both mountains and deserts, so you don't have to choose. But but what I'm getting at here is really assess, you know, what you're drawn to on on kind of every level and and make your choice based on that.
0: So these lists, this is interesting because I've heard you talk about this on another podcast before, you're a list maker. Now, when I make a list, usually I get so in my head that the list doesn't work and it's an answer that comes in nature. Like I'll be surfing and the answer will come to me because, you know, for example, quitting my job in 2009 made zero sense on paper, but it was this gut feeling. So when you make these lists, I think you do it in a way where you address fear. Yeah. Can can you talk a little bit about that because that's not something I would do in my list. That's different and I like that.
1: Well, you know, I I what I what you just said is it made zero sense on paper, but what I would say to that is you put the wrong thing on the page. Yes. Um that you were prioritizing I think probably other people's values. Like, okay, well quitting your job is a bad idea because where are you going to get money, right? That's the first thing that we all think of in that scenario. Um that's not a bad, you know, <laughs> question to ask. But I think that, you know, so many of us have been so conditioned all of our lives to really honor, you know, those kind of like financial security and the things that kind of make sense because they're the things that other people have done throughout all time. You know, go to college, get a good job, you know, invest in your career, meet somebody great, marry them, have kids, you know, that whole kind of American dream trajectory, which fits for some people and, and, and not for others. And, you know, what I say is revise the narrative. And that list is not about the expectations that others have placed on you, whether that be family or the culture or even your own inner critic, but rather making a list about what is it that really excites you? What engages you? What are you afraid of? And, you know, are you running toward that fear or away from it? Are you being ruled by your fears? Or are you looking it in the face and saying, you have something to teach me, teach me what, what you need to teach me fear. And that's where I really try to begin that list is what's in my heart, not what's in my inner critics, um, you know, that kind of in your head when that inner voice is saying this, you surely shouldn't do this. It would make so much more sense, Shelby, if you stayed
0: employed, you know, that would lead you to misery. Thank you, Cheryl. That's that's excellent advice. And I think it's helpful for anyone making decisions about anything. You know, I want to know what books do you recommend, especially for adventurers? A lot of guests who come on this show, they recommend Wild. So what books do you recommend for adventurers?
1: Oh, that's so sweet. Um, I'm always grateful when, when I see Wild on those, those books of those recommended books. I'm always honored. Um, you know, I love adventure books. And really, to me, not just adventure, but any kind of travel into the wild, especially, because I think that that's always, always something interesting happens, right? Um, And you get to, in some ways, travel along the way with somebody's, on somebody else's adventure. And so what books have I been loving lately? I, one of my all-time favorite books is My Journey to Lhasa, do you know this book? No. Written a long time ago by a woman named Alexandra David Neal. And it's about her 1923 expedition to Tibet. Um, I also love this book that everyone sent me when it came out. Bold Spirit, Helga Espy's Forgotten Walk Across Victorian America by Linda Lawrence Hunt. Um, And here again, it's like a, a walk by somebody a long time ago, 1896. And she was a Norwegian immigrant. And a mother of eight children, um, and was just basically in dire straits. Do you sense a theme here? Like, I love these women who are like, you know. <laughs> did you read Tracks? The woman who crossed. Oh, and Tracks by by Robin Davidson is a great one too. I actually did an event with Robin in Jaipur, India. Actually, we we were interviewed on stage together. And yes, hers. It's about her trek back. Gosh, you know, when did she do that? Was it the 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 seventies or eighties? Across about seventeen hundred miles in the Australian outback. So I love that too. You know, I also love this woman. Um, I don't, have you ever read any books by Helen Thayer? I
0: don't know. She's, I don't think she's so. an
1: adventurist as well. And a walker. She's written a few books. I think, I don't know how many, maybe even many books, but the one of hers that I read and really just loved is walking the Gobi. It's about her 1600 mile track across Mongolia. And wow. she did that when she was 63. And she was with her 74 year old husband. So they're, um, you know, again, like, wow, aspirational. That's what I want to be doing when I'm 63.
0: Yeah. So is that really what you want to be doing? 63. So what else adventure wise outdoorsy, you know, do you have left on your bucket list?
1: Gosh, you know, it's interesting when you just said, is that really what you want to be doing? Um, yeah. Is it just hyperbole that I just said that, or is it true? Um, I think, I think I would love to do that. I do think that I, you know, would really like to sleep in a bed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I like that better than tents. I'm going
1: to be honest. I'm going to be perfectly honest. So one of the, the the kind of, um, the kinds of long distance walks that have become appealing to me and your listeners who are like, you know, backpacker purists will be like, Oh no. You know, these things where you get to hike like you know, end to end, you know, I, I I think the next long walk I really want to do is I would love to like walk across England or something, you know, you, I, I understand. I haven't done uh, long distance walks in the UK, but you know, you can stay at, 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 a, at an inn and have dinner at a pub and have a glass of wine. You know, like I, I, am maybe into, what's the word, you know, there's clamping, but what's the word for like luxury walking? I don't That's
0: know. My, my fiance calls me a Gucci adventurer. So I like that too. Like we'll go on really giant runs and walk and I'll Uber home. And he's like, really? And I was like, yeah, I wanted to get like 20 miles in, but one way
1: but you want to over No, no, I get that. I, I totally. And, and that's, you know, in New Zealand too, when we went on our backpacking trip, you know, it was like, we're carrying our packs and you're hiking the miles, but yeah, we got to stay in these little, these inns, these lodges along the way and somebody else cooked you dinner, which is wow. What a, what a way to go.
0: Yeah. I mean, I did the Amazon river and someone set up our tent and cooked us dinner as well, but it was the Amazon and it was scary and there was things underneath us and like enough of the adventure was adventurous and scary that sometimes a little comfort is good. I'm all for that. I love this yeah. idea. I think you should do a castle walk, like in Europe, where you walk and you stay at castles.
1: Yes. Have you done any hiking in, in Europe or like no, France? No, that, that's that's yeah. next. Yeah. Well, see, they they have, like, one thing that's very intimidating to me about Europe is, man, they are hardcore when it comes to hiking. And, they, you know, many of their trails are just absolutely, like, you know, straight up or straight down. And of course, you know, there's, they're always, there's always like some 68 year old Norwegian who's, you know, like just blazing past you because they're like so fit and they you know, they're, they're fit from like, you know, birth, they, they've been like skiing and climbing up mountains. And, you know, there's just no way um, that we can hike as fast as them. My husband and I always, we have a phrase that we say between us. It's remember the Danes, because we once met these really old Danish people who, Like hiked about, you know, quadruple the speed that we could hike.
0: Speaking of fitness in the Danes, you know, one of our listeners at Mad Hirsch wrote in and they want to know, how do you keep yourself so fit and healthy?
1: Oh my gosh, I don't keep myself so fit and healthy. (laughs) That's I'm I'm glad I'm I'm glad somebody out there thinks I am. You know, it's it's like everything, you know. I mean, there I go in and out of phases of my life where I and better at at following through with that commitment to to my health and 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 to exercise and you know eat right and do all the things that we that I constantly aspire to do. Um, so you know for me it's it's goes back to that again that 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 sort of daily struggle of of asking yourself putting on that like you know sort of metaphorical list you know who who do I want to be today? What do I want to do? And you know sometimes I go through phases of my life where I I fail at following through on the list. And because other things, you know, interfere. And so I think to me, when I think about fitness and health, it's like a lifelong commitment. There's a long view, and there's a short view. And it's the long view is who do I want to be over the course of my life? What are the things I want to do with it? And then what happens on the micro scale is every day, you have to make that commitment anew. And I'm there right now, I'm planning to actually, I decided to walk the Portland half marathon in the fall, which I know that the half marathon that seems like, you know, a lot of your listeners are like 13 miles. That's not that far. And that's true. I I can walk 13 miles tomorrow if I want to. But what I found is that saying, I'm going to do a thing like signing up for a thing. It helps me keep my focus. And so even though that's not like a, it's not going to be a really hard goal for me to achieve, to, to do that, to like run, walk the, a half marathon, it centers my focus and it in so many ways allows me to follow through every day. Like, okay, I'm going to go walk for an hour today because I've got to train for that
0: thing. Well, yeah, it's also a really good tactic because you're so busy. I, I mean, that's one of my questions for you is like, how, how do you balance time for you in between being a wife, a mother to two awesome kids and like, gosh knows how many commitments you have a week.
1: A lot, a lot, you know, I'm writing and I have the podcast and I do uh, lots of public speaking and yeah, I have a, a too busy life. And you know, the answer to that is, is I don't know about balance, you know, that I'm always trying to attain it. And part of my, my kind of clarity around it has been to in some ways, let it go. And to say, this is an era of my life that I'm just really busy and I've got lots of things going on and I'm going to do the best I can do. I'm not going to be able to tell you by the end of every day that yes, I chopped my own vegetables and cooked a fabulous meal and did an hour of yoga and went for an hour walk and wrote for three hours and worked on my podcast and answered every email and you know, on and on and on (laughs) Had quality time with my husband and my kids. Like that's just not true. And when I try to make it true, I suffer because every day I feel disappointed in myself. And so I think part of being healthy is, and again, this goes back to something I said before, you know, it's, it's saying like, well, what, what can I do? I, I can't do everything, but what can I do? And then, you know, what's reasonable, what's a reasonable course of action? How can I attain some balance? Maybe not every day, but over the course of say a month, you know, do, do, you know, how do I fit in all these things that are important to me over a long period? stretch of time. And so, you know, that's, that's been my solution is to, to t- try to take a longer view of balance. And also th- that sense of like, you know, time passes, and there will be other days when I can chop all the vegetables and do yoga a lot. Maybe that's what I'll be doing when I'm 63.
0: <laughs> You'll be chopping vegetables, I'll be coming over for dinner. I love it. We're going to take a quick break to hear about our sponsor. When we come back, Cheryl gives her famous advice, shares advice to writers, and also talks about the party she would throw and so much more. Stay tuned. This episode was brought to you by Altessa, a series of outdoor events designed for women who long for a life of discovery. So whether it's committing to a three-day weekend retreat on a mountaintop or an energetic one-day outdoor festival featuring female artists, music, and speakers, Altessa has your outdoor aspirations covered. The great thing about Altessa is women from all walks of life come to connect or even reconnect with themselves and each other in the outdoors. I'll be at some Altessa events this summer and I'm really stoked to be part of this amazing event series. There's also some great brands involved who make this event possible and are helping lead various activities. So thanks to partners like Subaru of America, Garmin, Osprey, Sea to Summit, Smartwool, The North Face, Hydro Flask, Pro Bar, Solomon, Maui Gym, Black Diamond, Yakima, Olokai, Roxy, Igloo, and Leatherman. Find more about the REI Altesa events at Altesa.com. That's O-U-T-E-S-S-A dot com. What's the best reiteration of your famous advice, write like a mother? You what have people taken that into that just totally makes you laugh?
1: Oh gosh, so many things! I have signed countless books. Uh, Engineer like a mother, mother like a mother. <laughs> That's one of my favorites because of the the double you know the double mother. Really, anything you can think of, uh, people have embraced that advice, I guess, to do things like a mother, which began as write like a mother. And I, and I love that because, of course, that's what I always intended. It was never a, a message just for writers. And it's it's really about um, going full throttle, giving it everything you have, even if you have doubts. And in fact, probably you're going to have doubts. Do it anyway and, and do your best work and stop complaining about it or rather complain about it. But don't let that be the thing that stops
0: you. I have podcasts and pitch like a mother on my wall, so thank you. Oh, you did! Yes, of course. So
1: sweet, I love that. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm honored. I'm always so flattered when people have taken something I've written into their own lives and hearts, because that's what writing is all about, right? You wanna, you want people to have make it have meaning in their own lives.
0: You know, you, you give beautiful advice about life about writing with your dear sugar call with, with everything, you know, what advice right now in our time are people asking you about the most and asking for, and how do you respond?
1: Well, you know, there's always the love questions and throughout all time, people have grappled with finding love and keeping love and sustaining love and knowing when to give up on love and wanting to do it, but wanting to know what to do about making it making it last once you have found that partner and i think that that's kind of cool that you know to know that we will always have those troubles for me i've always found that to be consoling when i've been struggling with whatever kind of issue i have to think about all the people before me who have been grappling with these same questions. It's also kind of a bummer because it means nobody's solved those questions. But but the fact that, you know, I'm not alone in whatever I'm struggling with is, is the the message I'm always trying to give. You are not alone. I'm not alone. We're together in this. And I think that message is especially important right now when people are feeling, you know, divided. I, I think a lot of Americans are feeling very concerned about the, the, the level of, of tension and conflict in our society that, um, really have, you know, it's right there on the, the, you know, in the newspapers and on the headlines on websites and so forth, uh, all the conflict we have, but it really has an impact on people's psyches and personal relationships. So that's coming up a lot of the letters too.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So we got a lot, I, I put it up on Instagram yesterday for like just a couple of hours. I put your picture in wild, and I was like, hey, hypothetically, if I I were to interview this person tomorrow, what do you want to ask her? And my inbox was flooded, so I had to delete the picture. But it was awesome. So many people want to ask you advice. And one asked, you know, so many people on this show want to write and create art, or so many people listening to this show do. And I think much of the time, what's the hardest for them is starting. So what's your best advice on just starting?
1: Well, let me just say to everyone listening, it's hard for me to start too. It's also hard for me to keep going. (laughs) It's hard to do it, you know? And I think that that is, this is kind of connected to what, to what I was saying when I was answering your question about the list, you know, this notion that like, well, let's see, uh, you quit your job. That means you have no money. So that means you shouldn't do it. Right. Wrong. And I think that, you know, so many of us are taught to, to read these, to really misread these cues. So, okay, it's difficult to start. It feels like, you know, when you do start what you've written down or, or created, it looks, it's sort of silly or not as good as you want it to be. So that means you should stop, right? Wrong. Actually, that doubt, that fear, that anxiety, and even that resistance is a sign to me that you need to do this thing, right? You need to keep going. You need to push through those, those very negative cues that often will stop us from doing what we wanna do, whether it be in hiking or in life, You know, right? We you, When you're hiking and you pass a really nice shady spot, you wanna sit down and stay there, or at least I do. But I know that if I keep going, there is a benefit to that, there's a payoff to that. And that is also true in my creative life. It's deeply true in my creative life. I have never written anything that was easily done. Maybe that's an overstatement there. Maybe there are a couple things that came just bursting out at me, but most of the time it was hard and it was hard to begin and it was hard to keep going. And it was hard to look back at it and revise and make it better. But that is part of the creative process. Again, that is, it's looking at your fear. It's looking at that challenge and overcoming it.
0: Is there something, though, to the feeling that when you're meant to do it, it does come a little easier? I just remember hearing you at Warwick's in La Jolla years ago. I think you were reading from Tiny Beautiful Things, and it was a long time ago, and I said, you know, how long did it take you to write Wild? And it wasn't that long.
1: No, yeah. I mean, I mean, you're right. I I, <laughs> I wrote the book in, in a year or two, and... I mean, it seems long because, you know, two years of working, of writing like that is is intense and hard. But yeah, I mean, I think that that the the book before that, my first book, Torch, took me more like seven years to write. And, you know, in those couple of years I was writing wild, there were so many days of fear and resistance and, and, and even sometimes a month or two at a time that I didn't do any work at all. But I tend to be a binge writer. So I would maybe go a month without writing and then I would spend a month doing almost nothing but writing, even though I had two little kids, so you know, every spare moment, you know, writing for hours and hours uh, a day and, and not sleeping very much and just working really hard, you know, so it, it, it felt, you know, those two years were, were really hard work. But yeah, you're right. It was pretty quick. Same with Tiny Beautiful Things. That book was written as I was doing the edits on Wild. Week by week, I was writing this column for The Rumpus and I sort of accidentally wrote that book, but it wasn't, that doesn't mean it came easily.
0: I love that. You know, I think what's so interesting is you're, you know, a lot of the recent writers I've, I've interviewed are binge writers. And that is so refreshing to hear because I think I read The War of Art and he says, show up and do the work every day. So I went to a coffee shop for an entire year at 5 a.m. every morning and I sat at my computer and tried to write a book. And I did, but I didn't like it and I killed it. It just didn't feel authentic. And then today now I approach writing so much differently. I won't write for months and then I'll go and I'll just write for like three days straight. And that just feels so much more authentic. So I guess in all creative aspects, is that, is that sort of the approach you love to take this? I mean, some people are just busy. That makes more sense.
1: Well, you know, I think that that's, you know, for me, again, another really liberating lesson that I learned as a writer is, you know, I had that similar um, kind of instruction, like, well, you are not a real writer if you don't write every day. And that's absolutely false. I think that there's no one way to be anything. And certainly there's no one way to be a creative person, to be a writer. And, you know, you have to make this work fit into your life. You know, you have to make decisions and follow through with them and be disciplined, but those decisions have to be reasonable. And I I liken it to, you know, I've, I've, I'm probably like a lot of your listeners, like always aspiring to kind of eat healthier or exercise more or, you know, do do this or that. And I'll be like, sometimes when I'm extreme, like, okay, I'm going to eat only vegetables for, you know, the next 60 days or whatever. And then it's like by day three, you're just like, you know, okay, give me a glazed donut, please, you know, three of them. And, you know, because you're just like, this is not like, it's not realistic. But what if you do make a realistic plan about your diet, and it's, you know, eat some vegetables every day for 60 days, or whatever that is, it's the same thing with our creative work. It's saying, okay, I can't write every day right now, because I work full time, or I'm with my kids, you know, nonstop on these days, or whatever it is, whatever, things are in your life. but here I can work all day on Tuesday next week and I'm gonna make sure to protect that day so that that's what I can do. And I think that that's what I always want to tell people who want to be writers is you know make a plan and follow through. And even if it's a modest one, even if it's like two hours a week, uh, trust me, you're gonna get lots more writing done doing that than you would if you just sit around and whine about how you wish you could write, but you don't have any time to do it. <laughs>
0: I love that. So for those who do want to get their work in the world, you today there's a lot of options. There's just a lot of media. There's podcasts, blogs, books. I mean, so many different outlets. So how do you advise on where to get your work in the world and knowing where you should?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that that just because work can be in the world, it doesn't mean it should be. I I think that there's something really very much I value as both a creator and a consumer of other people's creations is, you know, an adherence to craft and an adherence to a a sort of value uh, system that says it matters to me that I do really good work and that I go through a kind of rigorous apprenticeship essentially. And so I always, you know, say like, you know, that's you know the the most really rewarding piece of of making art i think or writing or you know any of the is is the creation and and play around with that you know go into the metaphorical woods with yourself for a while before you step into the meadow and show everyone your great thing and then when you do there are as you say so many options. You know, I love that like the podcast world has taken, I have a podcast too. And like everyone I know has a podcast <laughs> and it's, and it's pretty cool, but you know, I mean, when it comes to writing, you know, I think the other thing and, and, and probably podcasting too, it's always nice too to have, you know, other people's opinions, um, people who also have some expertise. Certainly I'm always grateful to have editors who are saying, "Mm, you know, this, this piece you can do a little better or that part didn't work. And, you know, same with my podcast. I love that. I have a producer who, who um, can really help bring that conversation that I have on my podcast to the next level through her, her production, essentially.
0: Yeah. I love my editors and producers. You know, social media is another way people tell stories and it can be pretty weird, but it can also be pretty positive positive. You know, and I saw on your social media that you take your kids to protests. We talked about your kids, and they just seem really, really cool. You know, a lot of kids today, they're just really cool, really aware. So what do you think of this whole new youth and student movement?
1: Yeah, no, my kids um, have participated. Well, they've been to many protests in their life, really. My husband and I have always raised them with a social conscience and and a, a moral obligation to be active citizens in this democracy, and they are. And it's really cool to see them really stepping forward on their own now, in response to the student movement that that began with the March for Our Lives and, and continues. And so yeah, I'm really proud of them and supporting them. And, you know, I just it really is part of I'm not a religious person. But I'm a really, you know, I, I really have a lot of belief that we are all divine. And I've always taught my kids that kindness is the most important value that I hold. That's the thing I want them to be when they grow up is kind. I don't care if they're a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. I want them to be kind and they know it. And I, and I love that they've carried that into their lives and into their school. Um, you know, really their school did a walkout and in Portland public schools, um, to their credit was really supportive of it. And I I thought that the schools did a great job supporting the kids, and there and making this you know expressing their their their
0: their first amendment rights, you know, really making their voices heard i I love that. I love talking to young kids today it's It's really refreshing. They're really yeah. smart, they're really engaged. and I think this whole movement has been really eye opening to a lot of people who traditionally judged millennials and younger people differently, yeah. So people come up to you, I'm sure. I mean, I've even saw it at one of your book signings and they come up to you. And I mean, I'm probably even acting like this. Like we've known you forever because you've poured your heart to the world. And I'm sure people come up to you with dire questions and needs. You know, how do you deal with that responsibility?
1: You mean how personally, how do I kind of hold?
0: Yeah, because even when people email me and say, hey, Shelby, what do I do with my life? I'm like... I mean, I don't even I don't have it totally figured out. I'm, I'm getting by on my own. You know, I'm just doing yeah. what I can do. I, I liked your advice. Like, be kind. I think that's the answer to so many questions and solve so many problems in life. But yeah. I'm just wondering, like, how you deal with the response. You just have it on such a different level that I can't even imagine. Like How do you deal with that? Yeah,
1: I mean, I also just have it explicitly on my podcast. Yeah. I mean, that the whole point, like write to me and tell me what you're, what terrible thing you're experiencing and I will try to help you. So it's actually part of my job. And, and certainly, uh, in all of my books, even though tiny, beautiful things is the one that's explicitly advice. I think that people really read my other books very personally too. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have said Wilde saved me. Wilde saved my life. And, and and that's also true even of my first book. I mean, this didn't begin for me with Wilde. My first book, Torch, which is, it's a novel, it's fiction. And, and even through those fictional characters, people were responding on an emotional level, seeing themselves in it. And, you know, so it's been a years-long practice of learning how to hold other people's sorrow and loss. And I think that, you know, my... The, The way that I've sort of come to think about it in my life is that it doesn't feel like a burden to me, because because they are almost always when they share their stories with me, saying that I've already helped them, and I do think that that really you know hearing other people's stories of loss and and confusion and struggle is so helpful to just have them know that somebody else can stand there and bear witness to what they're holding and to help them hold it too. And it's kind of like being like on the scene of a, a, of, a, of a emergency. It's more stressful to stand there and scream than it is to to help, to put your hands into the effort of, you know, saving somebody's life. And, you know, I think of my books as doing that. Like I feel like, and my podcast is doing that too. You know, I'm not going to, nothing I write or say is going to take anyone else's sorrow away, but it will make them feel perhaps that they're less alone in it. It will remind them that that life goes on and that almost all of us have wounds. And those wounds eventually become something else if we apply some effort to healing them. Something beautiful instead of something ugly.
0: Any advice on on just being a better listener? You're so good at it.
1: Oh, thank you. Wow, Um, that's an interesting question. I I think that maybe what you're asking, I mean, obviously the, the, the just literal technical answer is just shut your mouth and listen. (laughs) But I think that the actual thing you're asking is like, you know, how do you listen with, with compassion?
0: How do you show it too?
1: Because so many, you know, again, you know, so often we, you know, we're sort of hardwired, we're taught like, this is good and this is bad and this is acceptable and and this is unacceptable and this is a deal killer and that is not. And so what that does is it, it boxes us in and makes us feel really ashamed when we have made a mistake or been the person who did, quote unquote, the wrong thing. And and shame almost always is isolating, you know. And, and then as a listener, when somebody tells us, you know, something about themselves that maybe is not so flattering, you know, we feel like our job is to, to in some ways, judge them. And what I try to do uh, when I listen to people and when I read their letters for the podcast is to hold them in unconditional positive regard, and that is to say that I, my job is not to make a judgment about whether you're right or wrong, or you did the bad thing, or you're good or bad, you know, any any of that stuff. My job is to listen, hear the story, and try to illuminate it in some way, try to offer some, some words or some um, way of thinking of the problem or the experience that is sort of beyond what that that storyteller, that person talking to me or writing the letter um, can see or hear or perceive right now. And so listening really is about saying here, you know, it's, it's making the story, it's, 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 it's receiving the story and then sending it back to the person in a way that is in, in some ways illuminated or broadened or deepened. And so, you know, I think that's about not being judgmental. It's about not making that your, your first order of business of, you know, determining whether somebody's good or bad or right or wrong. We all know that we're flawed as humans, we all know that we're complicated, um, nobody's all good or all bad, or at least very few of us are. The best people in the world have made mistakes that that are really very harmful and sad. I mean we all have right and I think that the the, better, the closer we can get to acknowledging that as, as individuals and as a society, the better off we're going to be.
0: Hmm. Now what do you look for in mentors and? In- who are your mentors today?
1: Kindness. Uh, I think that I've never learned anything much important from anyone I thought was a bully or nasty or mean. And I mean kindness to everyone. And I've had the fortune of having people like that in my life. When I was in graduate school, I got my MFA at Syracuse University. George Saunders, the writer George Saunders, uh, was my mentor, and he is an extraordinary human he's a great writer he's also a great person and he's such a model for me in that regard that's who i those are the kinds of people i admire i also really i think that you know i've never been a person who looked to one person to teach me the lessons i'm not i'm not really much i don't have many mentors when it comes to like this one person who i followed over several years and they taught me how to be but rather I'm always learning from other people. And, and that's, you know, I think that that's a powerful thing to just learn lessons that are offered up to us in our lives all the time. And they come from all directions.
0: But you're also buddies with, you know, like Ops, Oprah.
1: Oh yeah. No, Oprah. has been great. And you know, that's, I was just going to say one of the things that Oprah that, uh, that I've always been so impressed with her is, you know, the first time I met her, she was, as she was like nervous and excited to meet me. And I was just like, what? I mean, I could just see in her eyes that like that she was excited like that. And I was like, this is Oprah. I'm the one supposed to be nervous and excited. And I was nervous and excited. But but what I saw in her was her vulnerability. You know, I saw in her that she hadn't forgotten that she's a human. She she didn't like believe her own breast. Like, I'm the diva, I'm Oprah. And so everyone has to kiss my ring. You know? <laughs> the minute you, uh, the, you start like moving through the world that way is the minute you just lose your own humanity and and that you, that you do stop learning from people. You know, I I've never been at risk of doing that, but boy, seeing the way that Oprah does that, I was like, yeah, that's, that's who I am and who I want to be. And, you know, she is a wonderful um, mentor to me in that way. And we've had many talks. We've become friends, you know, since that first conversation and she's given me lots of good advice about, you know, especially, you know, she saw as wild, you know, was putting me in a different kind of spotlight, you know, I was like, Whoa, I don't, I don't know how to be quite so public. Like what, what's, how do I do this? Because of course I am somebody who puts, you know, my vulnerability is right there for public consumption. I'm, I'm, I tell you the intimate stories of my life and I I don't really shield that behind much. And Oprah does that too. And so we talked a lot about how to do that without losing your, yourself. Elizabeth Gilbert was also extremely helpful to me in this regard. She and I had some pretty important email exchanges at a time when I really needed her advice. And she was right there for me and with me. I'll always be grateful to her for that. I wouldn't say that she was my mentor, but she was certainly like, you know, she was a real sister to me in that old classic sense of the word, that feminist idea of sisterhood she was that to me.
0: Can you share some of that advice? I mean, I'm still fascinated with, you know, being a writer and hiker, those are kind of introverted activities, but you're so public. Right. And so like, what kind of advice do they give you about that?
1: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, that, that idea of the writer as introvert, I think that's been, you know, maybe a misperception of, of, of what writers are, or maybe even what introverts are. Cause like I'm such an extrovert. I, I think I even say on my social media my description of myself is an extroverted hermit yes um, it is it is that' am I am my like you know on my sort of handle on Instagram or whatever I'm an extroverted hermit and I am I I love to be alone but I am not an introvert by any stretch I get lots of energy from being in community and talking and being public and I'm just I've always been outgoing like that and yet I also love to be alone and I need to be alone that's where I really get my energy too. So it's from both places. And, you know, I, I do think that it's, I guess what it comes from is, you know, when I think about the work that has been the most meaningful to me, the, the, the kind of art I love, the kind of person I love, it's that work that is that is honest, that is bold when it comes to exposing the emotional life. I've always been curious about the deepest, most personal, intimate things always. It's been like my lifelong obsession. So as a writer, like I want to make that for you. I want to make you the best thing that I'd like to, to consume. And so, you know, I always knew I had to be kind of fearless in that regard in my writing. And, you know, that comes with a price. I mean, it it's in some ways it, it makes me open, you know, when people want to write really mean things about me and and they have, they can write mean things about the things that matter the very most to me. You know, they can mock, they can mock me. They can mock my grief over my mother. They can mock my sex life. They can mock the decisions I've made about myself in every way, because I've put them out there for public consumption. But that's a, that's a very small, I mean, really, it's a very small portion of what I've received in response to my work. Most people, what they say when they encounter somebody like me, who's willing to really show herself is they say, wow, me too. You said this thing about yourself that I've never heard someone say, and I thought I was the only one who felt that way. And thank you. And so, you know, that to me is, is so much more powerful and interesting than any negative thing that people have to say about me. And so part of, you know, my coming to terms with who I was becoming in the public eye through wild and, and dear sugar and so forth, is that I had to accept that um, not everyone was going to love me. And that was part of the deal. And it was okay that, 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 you know, I'm not defined by the people who love me or the people who hate me. I'm defined by myself. And it was a mighty lesson to experience that, to really recognize that through the, these last p- few years.
0: That's helpful because. Of the 200 positive comments, if I get one negative one, even if it's about a guest and not me, it's hard. Yeah. I think you just said that the negativity is really just not interesting.
1: It's not. And, you know, it's it's also what it really is, is it's so much a projection, you know, of the person themselves. And I'm not saying, you know, obviously, you know, there's there's room for critique. I mean, I've never, ever, ever thought that everyone has to love my books or my podcast. I mean, there's, there's no, nothing that's ever been done in the history of things that have been done that everyone has loved. Okay. So it's not about that. It's about, do people go out of their way to be nasty to you? And if the answer to that is yes, that is a story that they're telling themselves about themselves. It really has nothing to do with you, but it's hard to remember that because I know I feel the same way. You know, when somebody says something mean to me on the internet, the internet gives lots of opportunities for people to do that is like it stings. So, you know, my advice to you about that is do everything you can to just avoid it. Just like don't you know, don't don't go to the dark places where people say mean
0: things about you. Yeah, we hit ignore and delete. Yeah. We usually ask people, you know, what would you tell your 15-year-old self because that's such a vulnerable time in high school, but one of the people who wrote in Lauren Woods said, you know, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self?
1: Right. Well, my book, Tiny Beautiful Things, the title of that book is taken from the title of one of my Dear Sugar columns, Tiny Beautiful Things. And the, the entire letter is a letter to my 23 year old self.
0: I read that last night. It's so good. Thank
1: you. So it's all in there. But you know, there are various, as you know, asked different aspects to it. But you know, I think that the overall message of that letter is that it's going to be okay. That, that even the mistakes you make are actually in the end going to be things you're grateful for because they're going to be things you learn from. And all of those experiences, the good and the bad and the complicated and the simple and the beautiful and the on and on and on, they're all going to be the things that, that make you. Those things, as I wrote in that column, are your becoming. And your job is to take all of that and make something good of it, You know, to mix all that together in the giant bowl of your life. And bake a pie, you know, <laughs> a really good one that you can eat after hiking a long way.
0: So if you could throw any party, you know, this is the other question we ask all of our guests. If you could throw any party, you know, where is it? Who's coming? What are we eating? What are we drinking? What kind of music's playing?
1: Are you kidding me? This is so fun.
0: Yes. And what activities are we doing? I just I feel like this question tells me a lot about it's just fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, what what are we doing? So Shelby, you are definitely there. You're like number one on the guest list. Um, so <laughs> my listeners hate me now. Great.
0: <laughs> no, no,
1: it's good. We, we would have so much fun. So where would it be? So I, I have, I'm, I'm, I know I talked about hiking in New Zealand. I, I, that's my new like world crush. I'm just like, so we're going to go to New Zealand. We're going to have an amazing party somewhere beautiful in New Zealand. I was, I was Like I said on the Milford Track on the South Island, and it was really the only place I could go that like you you can actually just like drink water out of the streams and the lakes, which was just amazing. Like just dunk your water bottle in and drink. That was amazing. So let's go to New Zealand. Let's have a fantastic. Maybe we can be on the beach so the the land people can hike on trails along the beach and up into the mountains, and the water people can surf and swim and frolic and get eaten by sharks and whatever they like to do. (laughs) Um, There have to be cheeseburgers because. I love, I love me a good cheeseburger, lots of salad and fabulous, like grilled vegetables and maybe some salmon. Are you digging it? Yum. I'm totally digging this. I'm so over being a vegan. This sounds amazing. (laughs) Lots of wine. Oh, and cheese. I love cheese. I'm just uh, so into cheese. So yeah. And, and, and then every, you know, the, the kind, all the kind hearts get to come. The rule of the party is nobody's being mean to anyone. And we're all just going to savor and accept each other and love each other for who we are and listen to the stories that we each have to tell with nothing but kindness in our hearts.
0: I love that. Is there music? Of
1: course there's music. (laughs) Let's see. What will it be? We need to have somebody, you know, some, some fabulous, lovely band. Who will it be? Maybe Lucinda Williams can come and sing to us.
0: I love that. I'm coming. I can't wait. And we, we talked about New Zealand a little bit before this podcast. So the audience is curious. New Zealand's just pretty magical. So if, if you could fly an eco-friendly plane, we like to make it eco-friendly because it's the kind of show it is. And it could have one of those little banners right now, today, you know, what's your message to the world? Oh yeah.
1: We need more of those, I mean, but no, we need more eco-friendly planes. That, that is, that's a dilemma, isn't it? I mean, it's a, I love to travel. I'm really, you know, that's just one of my favorite things to ever do. And I, and I edited best American travel writing this year that will be out this fall. And wow, I love, it's
0: awesome. I love those books.
1: I know. Yeah. It's oh, and this, this, this one coming up, is going to be extra good because I picked all the things I love. So the airplane that the, the non environmentally destructive airplane would have a banner behind it that
0: said keep walking Cheryl mother Strade. that was epic thank you so much <laughs> that was
1: so fun Shelby I really I was really fun hanging out with you on my microphone here
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know you're awesome <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Cheryl, thank you for sharing your heart and soul with the world through your words, your books, your movie adaptations, and your podcast. You can find more about Cheryl and buy her books at Cherylstrade.com. You can also get her books at REI. And Cheryl, we're supposed to go surfing, so don't flake. Thank you to my team at REI, Chelsea, Joe, and Paolo. I totally appreciate your help and support. To my producer, Annie, social media manager, Kayla. You guys rock. To all of you listeners who posed questions on Instagram, thank you so much for writing to me. I did my best to morph all of your questions together and get as many in as possible. I really appreciate it. I'm going to list a few of you who wrote me. There's hiking Han. Modis Second the Road, Delilah LaRoe, Mischfish Fish 49, Rain Child, TL Gala, Mad Hirsch, Rachel 62, Heidi Ann Williams, SoCal Runner Gal, They Call Me T, Steph Jagger, Valerie Snowflake, Action Sports Law, Lisa Benoist, Sporadic Sojourns, Susan Renee Bright, Love Maine, Alice Graham, Country Photo Chic, Seabird 999, Thank you all so much for writing me. And thanks to all of you for listening. Remember, the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest ideas. We're taking next week off. So hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify and listen to the previous episodes. We have a ton of episodes for you to get caught up on. We'll see you week after next.